910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth. We're your hosts and co-founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. We're in the middle of a series called Women in Scripture. We've spent four episodes going through the book of Esther, and in the last episode, we started the book of Ruth, which we're going to wrap up in this episode. We will. We left off the last episode at the end of Ruth chapter 2, where Ruth told her mother-in-law, Naomi, that she went out to collect leftover grain. She ended up in a field belonging to Boaz, who was a relative of Naomi's husband. Naomi told Ruth that Boaz was a really good guy and she should stay in his field because he would protect her. Chris, Boaz is a pretty amazing guy. He is. The fact that he even noticed Ruth says something. He was a busy, wealthy businessman and she was just a woman hanging on the edges of his field picking up sheaths of grain. He took the time and care to build a relationship with her and paid the cost for what he gave her out of his own pocket. As we alluded to in the last episode, and as we see in this episode, Boaz is a small picture of Jesus. You know, it's no wonder that Naomi tells Ruth to stay in Boaz's field. Why would anyone in their right mind not stay in Boaz's fields after all his kindness to her? I think God is making a point here. Naomi and Elimelech were foolish to leave the promised land where they had been shown so much kindness by God and travel to a foreign land with pagan gods. You gotta wonder if Naomi sees this now. You do have to wonder. And Ruth does stay. Chapter 2 ends with, So Ruth stayed close to the woman of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Chapter 3 of Ruth takes a bizarre turn. Let's read Ruth 3 verses 1 to 4. One day Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight... He will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. It is really bizarre. And it it seems crazy that Naomi would tell Ruth to basically sneak up on Boaz when he's sleeping on the threshing floor, uncover his feet, and lie down at his feet. It's just bizarre. Bizarre. Yeah. But as we're going to see, Naomi knew what she was doing. She was trying to get Ruth a husband. Now that the harvest was over, Boaz and his men were threshing the wheat and barley, meaning they were separating the grain from the plant. This was long and hard work. So the men often just slept on the threshing floor. Plus, they wanted to protect their harvest from would-be thieves. And as we talked about in chapter 2, Boaz was a kinsman redeemer of Naomi's family, of Naomi's family. The kinsman redeemer was the member of the family that was supposed to buy back or redeem a relative who had fallen onto hard times and had to sell themselves into slavery. And it sometimes included marrying a widowed sister-in-law if she was childless. Right. And because of this, Naomi's suggestion to Ruth isn't as crazy as it sounds. Naomi wasn't trying to trap Boaz. She was using Ruth to remind him of his responsibilities. If Boaz didn't marry Ruth and have children, then the family name of Naomi's husband, Elimelech, was going to die off forever. Now, since Boaz wasn't Elimelech's brother, he didn't have to marry her to carry on the name, but Naomi's hoping he would see that continuing the family name was important enough for him to step up. Rose, there are noted scholars who differ in their opinion of Ruth lying down with Boaz on the threshing floor. Some say in that day, 
This was understood to be the role of a servant, to lie at their master's feet and be ready for any command of the master. So when Naomi told Ruth to lie down at Boaz's feet, she told her to go to him in a totally humble, submissive way. Naomi fully expected that Boaz was honorable and would do right by Ruth, so she was not concerned for Ruth's safety or reputation. She would not have suggested Ruth do this with any other than their kinsman redeemer who had already proven that he had Ruth's best intentions in mind. This is a picture of how we're to come to the feet of Christ, completely humble, acknowledging he's our master and we're his servant. We're to lay at his feet, ready to go at his command, knowing he'll always have our best interests in mind. There are others, though, that translate this passage differently. They contend that Naomi was trying to hurry along Boaz's decision to take Ruth as his wife. She was looking for a shortcut instead of waiting on Boaz to come to the decision himself. Here's what Ruth is doing. She's climbing into bed, so to speak, with Boaz, hoping that when he wakes up and sees her, he has no choice but to do the honorable thing and marry her, so her reputation wouldn't be ruined. Their reasoning is that nowhere else in scripture is there an example of a slave lying at their master's feet while he sleeps. You know, the fact that Naomi tells Ruth to wash and look her best and leave Boaz alone while he's eating and drinking might give credibility to this theory. Naomi probably thought Boaz would be more inclined to step up to his responsibility of continuing the family name if he had his fill of food and wine and if Ruth looked and smelled attractive. It's just too obvious that Naomi knew Boaz would be drunk or at least tipsy and his judgment dulled. This theory points to other examples of people being taken advantage of when they're drunk like Noah or Lot. Good point. Whichever side of the argument you land on, both Ruth and Boaz come out of the situation with their virtue still intact. That says a lot about both of them. As we said, the book of Ruth takes place during the time of the judges where sin was rampant in the promised land and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Compare that to Ruth and Boaz behaving completely appropriately and godly. By going to the threshing floor and putting herself in this situation, Ruth is saying to Boaz, I respect you, I trust you, and I put my fate in your hands. He could have easily taken advantage of her, mistreated her, or ruined her, but he doesn't. He doesn't. Ruth 3, 7-11 says, When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached him quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you, he asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Given that thieves are breaking in to steal their grain is a real possibility, it's a good thing Boaz didn't kill her and ask questions later. I mean, there was a real chance Ruth was, you know, taken here. Sure. But she's trusting Boaz, and she was trusting God. Right. When Ruth says, spread the corner of your garment over me, she's saying, marry me. The spreading of a skirt over a widow as a way of claiming her as a wife was practiced by ancient Arabs. In fact, the practice still exists today among some Arab nations. Theologian Clark says about this, even to the present day when a Jew marries a woman, 
He throws the skirt or end of his talith over her to signify that he's taken her under his protection. In Ezekiel 16.8, God uses the same terminology in relation to Israel. He says, I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you and you became mine, says the Lord God. You know, you could look at Ruth and say she's being a doormat. Maybe a lot of men wish they had a wife who was that submissive. However, she was only able to be submissive because Boaz was a godly man and treated her the way God treats his people. That's a great point. And on the other side, you can think Boaz was over-the-top kind and good to Ruth, and many women might think they'd like to have him as a husband. Boaz was able to be kind and honorable to Ruth because she allowed him to be. She was humble and respectful of him, and she let him lead the way. Ruth and Boaz are an excellent picture of what marriage was meant to look like. When man submits to God and treats his wife as Jesus treats the church, it enables a woman to let the man take the lead. She respects and trusts his decisions, which in turn encourages him in his relationship with God. It also encourages him to treat his wife as Jesus treats the church. Neither are on a power trip trying to dominate the other. Exactly. And Chris, before we move on in the story of Ruth, I want to point out another theme in the book. The kinsman redeemer is definitely one, and we're going to get to that. But the other is hesed. Hesed is the Hebrew word that's translated as kindness in the verses that we read when Boaz said to Ruth, this kindness is greater that, than that which you showed me earlier. We're going to get more on hesed shortly, but for now, we can only assume from Boaz's response that there must have been a considerable age difference between them because he tells her, you didn't run after the younger men. Boaz probably never thought of a hot young chick like Ruth being interested in him. He's obviously overjoyed that she is. Plus, she smells good. Plus, she smells good. That's right. Good advice from her mother-in-law. Right. Boaz literally calls Ruth a ha-yil woman. This Hebrew word means of moral strength, good quality, integrity, and virtue. This, again, shows Boaz's character. He obviously likes Ruth. As the kinsman redeemer, he could have forced himself on her and forced her to marry him. And just as Ruth had a right to expect marriage to carry on the family name for Elimelech, so does Boaz. But he doesn't do that. Because there's a huge age difference, he's probably thinking she'd like a younger husband. This passage again shows the respect Ruth and Boaz have for each other and is a picture of what a healthy relationship between a man and a woman looks like. So all seems well, except that there's one obstacle in Ruth and Boaz's way. Boaz... Like we said earlier, Boaz is not the first kinsman redeemer in the family. He's the second. Therefore, the first one has the right to redeem Naomi and marry Ruth before Boaz can. Ruth 3 verses 12 and 13 say, Although it is true that I'm a guardian redeemer of our family, there's another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Boaz can't rightfully marry Ruth without his other relative relinquishing his rights. Again, we see what a godly man Boaz is. Even though it certainly seems like he's all for marrying Ruth, he wants to do the right thing. He tells Ruth to lie at his feet until morning. Then, before it got too light, she was to sneak out so that no one would know she had been there. Boaz and Ruth were not trying to hide anything scandalous. It was just that Boaz didn't want the other kinsman redeemer to learn that Ruth was looking for marriage before he got a chance to tell him himself. 
He was also trying to avoid a scandal and avoid any damage to Ruth's reputation. Right. Boaz just doesn't send Ruth away empty-handed. He gives her six handfuls of barley. Jewish tradition says that the six measures of barley was given to Ruth were a sign of six righteous men who would descend from her. This is pretty interesting. These men would be endowed with spiritual gifts. David, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and the Messiah. We know them as David, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and of course Jesus. Don't you wonder what's going through Ruth's mind at this point? She had to be pretty anxious. She went to marry a man she knew pretty well and must have liked or at least respected and admired. Only to find out she might get passed off to another guy who she's never even met. Naomi tries to comfort her and reassures her that Boaz will get the matter settled quickly. And yeah. that would be really important to me. Because yeah. I, I hate waiting not knowing. Yeah, that's, you know what, I didn't think about what she must have been thinking. Wondering if she's getting passed off to someone else. Well, chapter 4 opens with Boaz going to the town gate to wait for the nearer kinsman redeemer. The town gate was the usual place for legal and commercial transactions to take place. He probably figured that his near relative would pass through the gate at some point en route to his field. And guess what? He did. He did. Yeah, imagine that. God needed that man to come through the gate so Boaz could talk to him, and that's exactly what happens. Like, what are the odds, right? Probably 100%. Uh, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So Boaz gathers 10 of the elders of the town and asks them to sit with him and the nearer redeemer, and they decide on what to do. It's funny, we're never told the name of that nearer redeemer. Speculation is divided on this. Some think that naming him was just not that important, so the scribes didn't. But others think it was possibly to blot out his name in history just because he refused to continue his relative's name. We wonder which it is. Yeah. There were 10 elders there. They weren't there to offer advice or mediate between Boaz and his relative. They were there to be witnesses to whatever transpired between them. In Jewish practice, 10 was a quorum to do business in judiciary affairs, such as the matter between Boaz and his other relative. Boaz starts by telling his relative that Naomi is selling the property of their brother Elimelech. They were from the same clan, but they weren't necessarily brothers. But Boaz doesn't mention the marriage to Ruth going along with the property. His relative jumps on the idea of having the property and says, sure, I'll buy it. Then Boaz drops the other shoe. He says in Ruth 4, 5 to 6, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. Ruth was the widow of the older son, Malon, who would have been heir to the property. There wasn't a law at this time connecting redemption of property with marriage to the widow, but maybe this was a stipulation Naomi added or maybe Boaz added it. Either way, the relative is like, never mind. I am not compromising my estate and my current children's inheritance with another wife and possibly more kids. He relinquishes his right as kinsman redeemer to Boaz. To confirm this, the relative takes off his sandal and hands it to Boaz. This signified the transaction was legally binding in front of the witnesses. So he walked home in only one shoe? (laughs) Wouldn't it have been easier to shake hands? Probably. (laughs) Was it a high-heeled shoe? (laughs) I don't know. But Boaz has gained a wife and a shoe. It's been a good day. It has been a good day. And after this, Boaz publicly announces his commitment to Ruth and the elders and gives some sort of benediction and blessing on the marriage. They pray for him to have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. These are two names for the same place. 
They're mentioned probably because of their association with David. They're given prominence in this book because one of the book's purposes is to demonstrate the legitimacy of David's kingship, despite his Gentile Moabite ancestress, Ruth. It is. And Chris, as we see when we read the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, Ruth's not the only Gentile mentioned in Jesus' lineage. Boaz is the son of Rahab, the Gentile prostitute who hid the spies in Joshua chapter 6. She went on to marry the Israelite named Salmon. Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife, and the Lord enables her to conceive a son. The women of the town rejoice with Naomi, saying, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. The women are celebrating that Naomi, who had come back from Moab empty, has now been filled. This is a picture of God's covenant love to Naomi, as well as a picture of Gentile inclusion in the family of God. It is. And Ruth and Boaz have a son, and they name him Obed. Their family line is listed to finish out the book of Ruth. It starts with Perez, the son of Judah, for the Messiah is coming through the line of Judah, and it goes through the genealogy of David. As we know from Matthew chapter 1, this line eventually leads to Jesus. There is so much for us in this little book. It's not meant that we should want to emulate Ruth or even Boaz. That's not the point. It's meant to point us to Jesus. Let's wrap up by showing this as we take a closer look at the two major themes of this book, Hesed and Kinsman Redeemer. All right, well, let's start with Hesed, which, as we said, is a Hebrew word. It appears in the verse we read from Ruth 3.10, but it also appears in Ruth 1.8 and 2.2, as well as other places in the Old Testament. In Ruth 3.10, it was translated as kindness. But Hesed's a hard word to translate because it includes so many things. Love, grace, mercy, kindness. It's all of the positive acts of devotion that flow out of a covenantal relationship. It's the acts of loyalty and faithfulness that a healthy relationship inspires. Acts that go beyond duty and obligation. If we have to give it a solid definition, it would be absolute love and loyalty. In the book of Ruth, Hesed is used to describe the actions of Ruth and Boaz, but ultimately it points us to the only one who could ever be capable of showing perfect Hesed, and that's Jesus. Definitely. And the other theme is the kinsman redeemer. As we defined, a kinsman redeemer was the male relative who was the family representative and had the responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble, danger, or need. Basically, that means a kinsman redeemer is the one who delivers or rescues. In the book of Ruth, Boaz was the kinsman redeemer. The book of Ruth is history, so Boaz was a real man, but he was also a prophetic symbol looking forward to Jesus as the ultimate kinsman redeemer. Jesus is referred to the older brother of his people in scripture. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. As the eldest brother, Jesus is the kinsman redeemer of the family of God. He's the one who has a responsibility to deliver and rescue those in his family who are in trouble and in danger of the wrath of God because of their sin. And who else would we rather have? As we said, everything in the Old Testament ultimately points to Jesus. But Chris, the book of Ruth does have a couple of other purposes. In the Bible, 
The book of Ruth is between the book of Judges and 1 Samuel, which begins telling the stories of the kings. It's a bridge between the judges of Israel and the monarchy of Israel. Rose, the book also shows us that Gentiles were always part of God's plan of redemption. As Ruth, like Rahab from the book of Joshua, are Gentiles who are grafted into the line of Jesus. And finally, the book of Ruth is a beautiful story of integrity and faithfulness, and it's a bright spot in a really dark time in Israel's history. It's an encouragement that not all the Israelites were falling into the gross sin that's depicted in the book of Judges. It shows that God is at work for our good, even in the worst of times. As we said, this was the darkest time of the people of Israel. But even while most of his people were steeped in sin, God was planning for their good and their glory through Ruth and Boaz. Ruth and Boaz were the parents of Obed, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of King David. And as we know, the promise of the eternal King Jesus came through King David. And as David is the last word in the book of Ruth, that's probably a good place to end the episode. We hope you enjoyed our look at the book of Ruth. Join us for upcoming episodes as we look at other women in Scripture. If you're enjoying our podcast, please rate and review it. And also check out our website, www.proverbs910ministries.com. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. As always, we welcome your feedback, comments, and questions. Have a blessed day. 